Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, everybody. Just wanted to give a quick hello. Sorry for the technical issues we've recently had, but we are back and we are ready to rock. want to thank Blueberry for their help in setting everything up. We had a major website hosting meltdown, but everything should be back up and running as of this episode. So enjoy. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. When Canadians think of the Battle of the Atlantic, they often think of the vessels of the Royal Canadian Navy fighting off swarming wolf packs of German U-boats in the frigid and rough seas of the North Atlantic Ocean. And while certainly this image remains powerful, definitely helped in part by the recent Tom Hanks movie Greyhound, the key to that conflict was the demand to get goods to the United Kingdom. The ships carrying those goods were not Royal Canadian Naval vessels, but were in fact vessels of the Civilian Merchant Marine, a forgotten branch of the Canadian war effort, and a group of people who had to struggle for decades to be properly recognized for their all-important and dangerous role in a crucial battle to win the war. This is Season 7, Episode 5, The Forgotten Fourth Arm, The Merchant Navy's Fight for Recognition. Today's book recommendations are actually two books. The first one is by acclaimed military historian and author Tim Cook, titled The Fight for History, 75 Years of Forgetting, Remembering, and Remaking Canada's Second World War. This was published by Alan Lane in 2020, and this contains an excellent chapter on the Merchant Marine, as well as a whole discussion about the ways in which we sought to remember and sometimes forget the Second World War. The second book, though, is Robert G. Helford's titled The Unknown Navy, Canada's World War II Merchant Navy, and this was published in 2000 by Vanwell and is an excellent history and accounting of the efforts and work by the Merchant Marine. 
The Battle of the Atlantic was not won by the Navy or the Air Force. It was won by the courage, fortitude, and determination of the British and Allied Merchant Navy. These were the words of Rear Admiral Leonard Murray, the wartime commander-in-chief for the Northwest Atlantic and the only Canadian to be given command of an entire theater of operation during the Second World War. Murray was speaking at a post-war tribute to Canada's Merchant Navy. And there is no doubt that without the courage of the Merchant Navy, the Battle of the Atlantic would have never been won by the Allies. You see, the Merchant Navy were the civilians, mostly men but including some women, who operated the merchant vessels which carried so much important cargo across the frigid North Atlantic waters to support the Western Allied war effort. When historians have looked at the Battle of the North Atlantic, they've discussed the efforts of the Canadian Navy, the Air Force, advances made in technology, the success of the information war, the threat of the U-boats in the dark days of 1939 to 1942 when it seemed like the convoy war might be lost. Yet, through all of this, the Merchant Navy played a central role. And while for many years the Merchant Fleet was often forgotten about in the histories being written, it has more recently been proclaimed the quote-unquote fourth arm of the fighting services during the war. Allied merchant ships made 25,343 runs, carrying just under 165 million tons of cargo from North America to Britain. Munitions, food, clothing, reinforcements, and all other sorts of war material arrived on the shores of Great Britain to ensure that soldiers and civilians alike could keep up the fight. Yet the Merchant Navy suffered incredible casualties. Something like 32,000 merchant seamen died, including 1,629 Canadians and Newfoundlanders. Now, Gil Kenny was one of those sailors. He was born in New Brunswick. He joined the Merchant Marine because he was too young to join the other services. And here he is talking about his experience. Uh, that's for the convoy. And then when the, the, the U-boat get inside the convoy, that's what the worst part of it. We had to signal when the U-boat get inside the convoy, then the Corvette was on the outside. By the time they came in inside, they drop the discharge, they get them out in there. It was pretty rough. It would probably take a couple hours because we were 20 miles. They wasn't tied very fast. It was fast enough to use the discharge. We couldn't use the discharge. We was only going seven knots an hour. So they're too slow. By the time the discharge go, we say 50 feet down, we're not far enough. When they explode, we'd be going with it. We were not, we were not using any discharge. And we have a, a four-inch gun on the on, on on the back half, and that's all we have. I mean, no, no, no equipment. And from 1940 to 1943, we didn't have Kenyan ship. I sailed in the British, I sailed in Danish, Norwegian. I didn't know what I mean. I just went. When I went aboard a boat, 
After I left Philip then they gave me a ticket to go to, to Halifax. I went to Halifax and I looked around the waterfront and then I went to see a boat and I went on another boat. It was a, a petty officer said, so what do you want? What are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for a job. No problem. So he took me to the captain. But on the way over, he said, don't deny the captain. Oh, I said, okay. So I went up to the captain, and he said, uh, how old are you? 16. Should be in school. I said, oh, I was there last week. <laughs> I was on the squad. When I look at the city, I was kind of stupid, brave, and smart. Gerald Bowen from Ottawa, Ontario, served with the Royal Canadian Navy during the Convoy War and speaks about watching a merchant vessel get hit with a torpedo. To see a tanker uh, go up uh, was an unbelievable sight, just this massive explosion and then this huge ball of flame. Huge ball of flame. And... uh, it just stunned you. You know, a dark night and suddenly, you know, everything was bright. And, uh, and uh, when you try to pick a seaman out of the water, one of the survivors, you know, they'd be covered with oil. And to try and hold on to them, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just so difficult. If the whole sea would become a ball of a mass of fire, you know. And these fellows got through the flames somehow. And we're trying to pull them over the side, up onto the deck. And you would grab them, you know, and they would slip out of your hands and grab them again. And, and the, probably the best way to hold on to them, we found, was to grab them by the hair. And that must have hurt like hell, you know, <laughs> to haul this fellow up. But uh, uh, their bodies were so covered with oil that it was uh, just a goose pig uh, affair, really. We were lucky we had a medical officer on our ship. And uh, he and our sick birth attendant, another great guy, uh, would work so hard on these people to try and bring them around, you know. But some of them died, you know, and that. And others, I guess, came through all right. There were a lot of horrors there. We pulled a merchant seaman out of the sea one time. He was upright in the water. He had a life jacket on. I remember it had castanets clanking and banging. And, uh, but the sharks had got at him from the waist down. and uh, just wasn't anything there, you know? Despite risking their lives to support the war effort, these merchant mariners were largely ignored in the post-war period. In particular, the surviving merchant mariners were hoping to get access to the benefits being offered in the Veterans' Charter. This was an array of benefits given to veterans of the Canadian Armed Services. The post-war Canadian governments, however, did not recognize the merchant mariners as service personnel because technically they were not. Yet, they certainly served and sacrificed for the war effort. There was hope that the sacrifice of this group would eventually result in the government recognizing their unique service, but that hope was dashed, and instead, the years following the end of the Second World War left most merchant mariners forgotten by their government and their country 
when it came to remembering the sacrifices made during the war. Most early naval histories barely mentioned the Merchant Marine, and Remembrance Day ceremonies and other forms of commemoration were equally devoid of recognition for this important arm. Even the Royal Canadian Legion, at first, failed to represent the concerns of the Merchant Mariners. Now, part of the problem was they were a small group when compared to the 1.1 million Canadian men and women that served in the three branches of the nation's armed forces. Yet, by the later 1950s, enough effort had been made by the Mariners themselves that the Legion began to embrace their cause, calling on the government for some form of special recognition and compensation. Now, the government rejected the Legion's calls, once again stating that these were not armed forces personnel, but civilians who had done an extremely important and dangerous job, but civilians nonetheless. And for nearly three decades, the government refused to budge on this position. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Things began to turn around, however, in the 1980s. It was in the early 80s that the surviving mariners began to organize themselves into associations in order to lobby the government and other groups for greater recognition. The Canadian Merchant Navy Association was the largest, but there was also the Canadian Merchant Navy Prisoners of War Association, which represented Canada's 198 merchant mariners captured by the enemy. Other smaller groups also formed around this time, and eventually all were going to come together to fight for greater recognition. Now, interestingly, one of the movements that galvanized this push towards better organization was the successful work of the Japanese-Canadian community, who successfully sought redress from the government for their internment during the Second World War and the seizure of property like the Japanese-Canadian fishing fleet. In the aftermath of Canada's 1982 Charter of Rights and Freedoms, leaders in the Japanese-Canadian community were able to push the internment story into a national conversation, so much so that in 1988, then-Prime Minister Brian Mulroney apologized for the nation's role in this dark chapter and offered a compensation package to those interned. Thus... If interned Japanese Canadians could gain financial redress then, hoped the members of the Canadian Merchant Navy Association, so too could the surviving merchant mariners of the war. Journalist Douglas Fisher wrote, and I quote, Isn't it ironic that we have had full apologies and generous redress for Japanese and Japanese Canadians moved from the West Coast in 1942, while the merchant seamen of World War II await full recognition by their country. End quote. Now, a key moment in this campaign came in 1988, 
when, on Remembrance Day, the Legion selected Hazel Driscoll of Halifax as the Silver Cross mother. Her son, Kenneth, was lost at sea when his tanker was torpedoed by a German U-boat just off the east coast of the United States. This was the first time that a mother of a merchant mariner was selected for this honorific, and this did much to bring the conversation about the merchant marine into the public consciousness. It was clear that at this point, more and more of the public and more and more veterans were supporting the recognition efforts by merchant mariners. In February 1990, a Senate subcommittee was held to discuss the possible recognition of merchant mariners as veterans. Now, one of the most telling statistics brought in front of the committee was the fact that merchant mariners died in higher numbers than their Royal Canadian Navy counterparts. Two of the gentlemen who spoke in front of the committee had sailed with the Merchant Marine during the war. One of them, Gordon Olmsted, was on the merchant vessel Agnita when it was sunk in March 1941, and Olmsted was captured and spent four years in a prisoner of war camp. One can imagine the frustration that Olmsted's war experience was still considered that of a civilian volunteer. Yet, not all veterans embraced the notion that merchant mariners deserved the recognition. Newspaper editorials and issues of Legion magazine were rife with debate and counter-debate over this issue. Some veterans supported the merchant mariners and others, while maybe sympathizing with their war experience and even supporting some form of financial compensation, did not support their call for recognition as actual veterans. For instance, one Royal Canadian Air Force veteran who spent the war in a prisoner of war camp wrote, and I quote, There is a distinct difference between those who served as civilians and those who served in the military, who did so on a contractual basis with terms and conditions either clearly specific or fully implied by precedent. Seamen did not have to act in life-threatening situations and could withdraw their service if they wished. By this point, the Royal Canadian Legion's official status, its official position, was that it supported making mariners full veterans and lobbied the government to do so. By 1991, the various merchant seamen groups had come together into one organization, the Merchant Navy Coalition for Equality, which could now effectively and far more powerfully lobby the government as one unified voice lobbying which proved to be very effective. In June 1992, the Mulroney government passed Bill C-84, recognizing the merchant mariners as veterans and entitling them to a wide array of veteran programs. Two years later, the Merchant Navy Book of Remembrance was unveiled and was placed within the memorial chamber in the Peace Tower on Parliament Hill, side by side with the other books representing the service men and women who've died in defense of Canada. The book included the names of those who died during the First World War and also included the names of eight women. But the plight of the mariners didn't end there. 
There was significant frustration amongst the surviving Mariners, who were now into their 70s, over their inability to access the programs they were supposedly entitled to, and the fact that now that they could access them, the program benefits would take too long to kick in, and frankly, most of them feared they'd be dead before receiving any benefits at all. In fact, things became so tense that in October 1998, three merchant seamen went to Ottawa to conduct a hunger strike on the steps of Parliament Hill. All of them were in their 70s. Now, what made this hunger strike even more damning for the government was that Veterans Affairs was at that very same time leading a large delegation to Korea to commemorate Canadian efforts in the Korean War. One of the delegates was a staunch Quebecois separatist and MP for the Bloc Québécois Party, who had once stated that Canadians had merely, and I quote this MP, swept the ice for the British and the Americans in World War II. So here you have recognized veterans starving themselves on the steps of Parliament Hill while a separatist MP is part of a government-paid mission to Korea to commemorate Canadian war efforts there. The optics were not good. The three men on the hunger strike, Aussie McLean, Randolph Hope, and Ward Duke, called for a $30,000 lump sum payment for the remaining 2,300 veterans of the Merchant Marine to make up for the years of being denied proper veteran benefits. It's no surprise that the media portrayed these men sympathetically and the hunger strike attracted national interest and once again propelled the merchant mariners into the national conversation about war commemoration. The government caved, and in March 1999, Bill C-61 was passed, granting the veterans $20,000 each and a few extra thousand for those who had become prisoners of war. Thus, by the end of the 20th century, the merchant mariners were finally getting their due. Sadly, for many, this was years, if not decades, too late. Today, the work of the merchant mariners is more and more included in the Canadian historical narrative of both the First and Second World Wars. While not recognized as service personnel at the time, they certainly went far and above that of the average Canadian citizen. A strange, dangerous job carried out bravely by a few thousand souls that became key to one of the most important battles of the Second World War. I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. And you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Thank you for tuning in and stay cool.